So what I would do is I would go sit underneath a tablecloth, I would go sit in a wardrobe, and as a boy I would take mum's little tape recorder, I can't remember the make of it, but it was a, kind of a silver thing, the, the big kind of red button that you hit red and play for a record, and put in a, a cassette tape, and I would make up stories. So I'd sit in the wardrobe, I'd sit under the, the tablecloth and make up stories and put silly voices on and things like that. And that was just my way of decompressing. That was my way of making sense of stuff. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today... We're getting better acquainted with Azariah. Uh, hello, Azariah. Hello there, Dave. And I should say, at the start, we're recording in the Royal Festival Hall. It's actually quite quiet for the Royal Festival Hall today, but there will be background sound in the background. Uh, that's the room we're in. That's the experience you guys are going on with us. And the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know you through attending Spark London, and particular the night in Hackney. And so I've heard you share stories and you've heard me share stories. And it's through those stories, through those kind of human connections that we managed to, to talk and to, and to share. That was it, really. Yeah, right. That was the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's interesting experience I have when I have uh, people who I've <laughs> met through Spark and yeah. seen telling stories at Spark uh-huh. on the show. Uh, and I've, I, that happens more and more as I go through yeah. my life. One of the things I want this show to be is about real people you know yes. like sparkies right everyday uh-huh. people i find i'm i'm meeting less and less people who are if you like in inverted commas everyday people as okay. i kind of go into the arts yes. and so uh-huh. sparks a great resource for mm. me to make the show about what i want it to be about yes uh, but it also means i'm in a weird weird position of i know things about you that are very intimate some of them but i don't really know you <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah. And I guess you're in a similar position because yeah, I tell absolutely. I tell a story every yeah. every month at Hackney, and yeah. you come regularly, mm-hmm. so you've heard a whole load of chunks of my life. Yes, but we've it's never really sat down no. and had a conversation like this ever. No, ever. Um, so yeah, this is going to be interesting, hopefully <laughs> for both of us. So yeah, the, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? So now there is there's a range of things. So I'm a father and husband. I am a priest in the Church of England. And I and that has a whole there's a whole range of things. I'm beginning to enjoy running. I've been enjoying running for the last six <laughs> months or so. I'm beginning to enjoy it. Right. Uh, uh, part of Park Run, local kind of Saturday Saturday running club that's free, meets in the park. And I have been with a friend of mine working on a podcast idea. Okay. So we have got one in the can and we're putting the stuff around it and figuring out what's what and so it's a real um, it's a real thrill to be a guest on one. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Sure. I mean yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's exciting that you're making a podcast. I guess there's a lot of people always, I guess, who are making podcasts and that always excites me. In a way maybe it shouldn't. Maybe I should always be like here's some competition, but no, I mean I'm I, I'm I'm more of the everyone should have their own podcast. I want to yeah. hear everyone's stories. Yeah, and particularly brilliant. I think podcasting offers this opportunity for us to get like more diverse voices 
coming through, yes. right? At the moment, that's not actually how podcasting is. It still is like all media. Yeah. Uh, far too many people like me, you know, white middle class men, are still dominating podcasts. But I hope, okay. my hope for podcasts yeah. is that we will hear so many more voices and they will be able to tell their own stories without the mediation of the media that, that yes. gets in the way of all of this stuff. Mm. Um, so it's exciting to me that you're telling, that you're telling yeah. some stories for your podcast. Yes. One of the things that interests me about you is that you're a priest. I don't normally sit down and talk to priests, so that's okay. kind of exciting. Um, you haven't been to confession in a while then, is that what you're saying? No, well, I was brought up, I was brought up by kind of, I guess, atheists, but they were open to me okay. being a believer if I liked. Sure. Um, I went to a church school when I was, because uh, it, it was the only school in the village. Right. Um, so I have like memories of singing in choir and all of that stuff. And yeah, I had a little period of time when I was a child where I, I believed in, in, in the Christian version of God, yeah. I guess. But then I, I kind of quickly moved on to sort of uh, ancient Greek <laughs> gods and then yeah. uh, ancient Norse gods and uh -huh. then paganism and all sorts yeah. of things. Currently, I guess I'm an agnostic. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, kind of a... What I, I say is a kind of agnostic fundamentalist. Like, I, I kind of believe that to not know is the only answer. Like, mm. that anyone who says they have an answer, whether they're religious or they're yes. non -re not religious, I don't really, I don't really buy it because I don't think anyone can know. I, I have many friends who have faith. I yeah. support people to have faith. I'm not mm. somebody who, like so much of the, the world, particularly certain kinds of atheists at the moment, are very much... Yeah, uh, there's a kind of militant. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're suspicious mm. of, of religious people. Sure. I'm not, but I am suspicious of organisations that have hierarchies within them and yes. so organised religion itself is something uh -huh. I'm a little bit suspicious of yes. which is not to say that I don't like people who are within that yeah. organised religion because I like you I've heard you tell stories so I definitely it's know interesting, that there's something it? there and I, I think um, it can be an interesting tension so I am of African-Caribbean um, heritage I was born and brought up in, uh, in this country in Leeds uh, my parents from Nevis in the Caribbean and religion played a big part in their lives and their upbringings and so it was something that was part of my upbringing as well. But recently, over Black History Month, I was invited to speak at St Paul's Cathedral. And actually, I'm speaking again there this coming Sunday. And, and it's really interesting, in the pulpit in St Paul's Cathedral, above you is an eight-pointed golden star that says, For God and for the Empire. And then behind you is a, is a crucifix statue. And there's this really interesting thing of, if you live for God and the empire, people get crucified. And right. it was a really interesting tension standing underneath the pulpit and, and thinking that, yeah, just a few hundred years ago, for God and for the empire was sending people off to, to become slavers and right. plantation owners and, and this sort Absolutely. of thing. So it's a really... Um, it's, it's an interesting place to be and in terms of within the Church of England I find that some of my platform is because I'm black but then some of the limitations are also because I'm black right. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so it, there's a really interesting interplay of finding 
the voice you have and seeking to catapult that further and recognise that because because you're black you don't just talk about black issues in Black History Month but you can talk about all things you know all human things there's like some friends of mine do kind of short films and things and there's this thing of the feel that black directors can do films about black issues white directors can do films about anybody (laughs) right right and so um, I too I'm suspicious of, of of hierarchy and um and things that are organised. I recognise it needs to be a level of, of organisation in order for people to know, you know, just basic communication, what's happening. You know, any organisation, a group, a community has some level of structure to it. But uh, I can see that actually it can be a bit of a pyramid with, uh, with some people being at the top and no room for anybody else. And so, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting place to be. However, I think I find myself still within that sense of discomfort I find myself at home within the, the Anglican Church in that the theological and ideological perspectives are very broad if you think of it a bit like a political party you've got your, your extreme sort of left wingers and you've got your extreme sort of right wingers and then you've got everything in between and the Church of England is like all churches in microcosm really Right. and so I like that so I, found, I felt if I joined the Church of England in a ministerial context, there'd always be somewhere I could go. There'd always be another garden that felt more comfortable. <laughs> you know, yeah. if the house I felt I was in felt claustrophobic, I could always open a window and go down the road, and actually there'd be um, something that that seemed to fit my kind of authentic evolution, as it were. And a simple and a complex answer is: I prefer a faith which asks more questions than has more answers. And a simple answer. I remember sometimes I used to ask questions in church when I was younger people, so it's a mystery. Uh, and that was just, uh, they're trying to fob me off, really. But now as an adult, I realise that that's actually the best answer. <laughs> right. Very often that there are things that we just can't put in a box. There are things we can't categorise. When I go to uh, Spark and I hear the stories, there's something transcendent that seems to happen. Right. You know, there's something which seems to be bigger than the sum of the parts of the people in the room. Right. There seems to be something when we're listening and we're sharing. It feels like there's channels that are open between us that, had we not shared the stories, would not be there. And, it, yeah, it feels that like it creates, you know, there's, there's an intimacy and that proximity doesn't always offer. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. And it's funny, it's a strange thing, like, doing this podcast and doing Spark, I found myself as an agnostic, mm. finding that, Sometimes the only word I can use to describe the experiences I've had is blessed. Uh-huh. And uh, that's not a word that I, I've ever chosen to use before. I guess. But, but there have been moments when I've connected with other people on this podcast or when I've been in a room full of people telling stories where mm. the only way I can describe the feeling I have at the end of it is blessed. And, yes. and I'm so, like, and it is like there's something, something larger than me. But I mean, mm. this, but, the, but what that larger thing is, I mean, that that can be many many things to many many different yeah, people like i think that there's a largeness and a and a the the, the world the universe all of that sort of thing is, is yes. something that i and just the fact that you're alone in your own body but there are other people who are also experiencing things and empathy i guess is yes. a, is a, is a way that a play, another place where i mm. i guess i find grace if you like yes but yeah i mean being an Anglican priest is interesting to me as well because I recently found out this because I'm sort of doing some research for a thing I'm writing mm-hmm. um, and me and my pu- me and my partner are writing it together. We discovered that that yeah that that you could be a, a priest in the Anglican Church and have a family and be married. Yes, like I, I thought a priest was only a Catholic thing. Sure. Um, and obviously Catholic priests are celibate and that's that's the deal and that's their deal and 
you know, fair enough, that's their choice. But but that's not the case in the Anglican Church, right? And, no. and as you've already said, mm. one of the first thing you said you were, rather than the, fir- you did the first answer you gave, yes. rather than priest, was uh-huh. father and, and hus- husband, okay. which I think is, a, yeah. to me, that seems a very positive thing. That would okay. very much appeal to me. If mm. I was going to be converted, if you like, yes. I would like uh-huh. to be led by people who saw their personal responsibilities as as important and yeah. as uh, that they're a human and part of the world and part of yes. society uh-huh. rather than some some high up person who doesn't even doesn't even doesn't even have sex right which yeah. is uh-huh. because of uh, which yeah. is a, a very human thing that yeah. brings us all together this yes. desire uh-huh. although of course uh, there are people who don't have sexual desire and that's absolutely mm-hmm. fine that's their yes. thing too so yeah i mean like it's it's surprising to me to discover that the Anglican Church uses the word priest. I guess that's what was surprising to me. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I'm we have um, you know I believe a God-given libido um, <laughs> uh, for life, you right. know, for right. for experience. Uh, we have if you articulate libido as as, as energy and, and desire to connect and to explore, to adventure. Um, I think that's 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 within all of us and. <laughs> it's interesting you should say about the Anglican precinct primary school that my children are at I normally just keep it low profile I find sometimes if I if I tell people what my role is then they begin to unburden themselves and it's okay if it's in a context where they're part of a community that are part of or friends or whatever but often it, it can be strangers on the tubes or, right. or what have you and um and sometimes, you know, I'm just thinking about my own problems. I don't want to take on anybody else's at right. a particular point in time. But I was at school and um, I had a, a meeting to go to afterwards. And so I had my dog collar on. And one of the dads said, what are you, a priest? I said, yeah. He says, I would never put you down for a priest. He said, maybe a businessman, but not a priest. Right. <laughs> and it's just this interesting thing. Of, of, uh, people couldn't really square it. There's times when I've been involved in funerals and, and people kind of give me a double take. Right. I think it's partly black priests, unfortunately, within the church are fairly rare, yeah. um, statistically. So, um, so that's an unfortunate thing. So there isn't many, many people that folks have seen that they can identify with, you know, to, to kind of break that illusion in their, in, in their brains. But I think that the term priest isn't, isn't used by everybody. The term priest can have associations of, you say, the sort of the abstract and the detached, someone who maybe is a bit sort of transcendent or angelic or, you know, they've got their own sort of line with God and they're, they're slightly floating above everybody else. But I think the, the earthy sense of, of priest is, is someone who is alongside others, listening and holding other stories and seeking to translate something that they believe of the stories of the faithful, the stories of God's love, um, back. So it's someone who's a conduit, mm. someone who's a kind of in-between person, someone who's in a liminal space. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so I quite like that. It's interesting that you say that as well about people not thinking that you're a priest because obviously you've been telling stories for a while at Spark and I've heard you tell quite a few stories and yeah. none of them none of them touched on the fact that you're a priest well, for quite a while. They were just chunks of your life. Yeah. Just like I don't tell everything about my life every time mm-hmm. I tell a story because it's not relevant. Yes. Maybe I would have guessed that... Like, you're very charismatic, I think. You okay. are... You're, you, on stage, you're a very excellent storyteller and so that attracted me to, yes. to your words because mm-hmm. you have those mm-hmm. things and I guess those are things that come partly from the fact that you're a priest or 
maybe those things are what attracted you to be a priest. I don't know, mm. but but though that does chime. Mm. But I didn't I didn't assume you were a priest. I guess because your stories were kind of personal and they sort of show flaws a lot of the time. The stories yeah. you talk about or, or, or yeah. questions, yeah. they're not so much about having an answer until yeah. the end. Although because you yeah, are very yeah. good at summing up, which I guess uh-huh. is probably something to do with you being a priest. Because yeah. you know you're very good at the kind of the conclusion, the moral, the the yeah. thing we can uh-huh. take from the experience, which I assume yes. is something uh-huh. you do every every time you're in a pulpit, right? Yeah. But then the last time mm. we told stories on the same night was a night. The theme was multicultural minds. It was a it was a collaboration with Mind in Harringay. Yes. It was uh-huh. focusing on mental health issues across multicultures. Yes. So in in you know. Initially, when I heard that, I thought myself, "Oh, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't, I shouldn't host it even, yes. let alone tell a story." Okay. But then, in the end, mm. not only was I hosting it, but I yeah. also told a story. Yes. So I don't know. People can judge me either way Absolutely. on that. And there was an interesting story, which um, yeah. right. Well, that's what I'm going to come to. So, yeah. so that was a thing. Mm. So I started the night with a story about going to uh, you, going your to niece's right. um, baptism. So my yeah. niece, she mm. is also of Caribbean consent. Um, yeah. can, uh, Caribbean descent. Yes, I have. Um, that story was about her christening and yes, about that's right. how. You went to a black led church. Right, but it was. It was, yes. cake. it was a black led church. It was <laughs> yeah. an evangelical church, yeah, though, uh-huh. and I, I, yeah. I assume you're not. Is the Church of England evangelical? Is that. So, as I said earlier, with the political party model, you, you have everything. You know, so you have liberal, barely believe in God, but have a big belief in humankind. And then you have uh, the other extreme, which is big belief in God, but little sense of agency that anything can happen and quite fatalistic on the other right, side. And then you right. have everything in the middle. Right. Um, so, so they may have been Church of England. So evangelical, actually, it, it means telling good news. Yeah. However, sometimes it can be hijacked by, I guess, in my opinion, sometimes people are a bit more close-minded or or people who feel that things are eroding so quickly within society or people who have more of, a, more of a stress on structures and regulations or for some people largely who have inherited some, some clear understandings and interpretations of what the scriptures mean on particular areas and feel that it's, 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 it's up to them to, to make sure that we all hold to those. And, and they're, prepared to, they're prepared to be challenged for it and prepared to, to speak up on behalf of those things Um, and for me that's okay when the things that you're campaigning on are are good things for most people and so so in that sense there's a lot of drive there's a lot of passion a lot of energy for me it can go a bit skewy from people in my mind major on the minors and kind of get go around in circles and lose the flow of cultural debate but the church of england in terms of telling good news i hope it's evangelical in, in yeah. that way um, but in terms of the smaller evangelical there, there's sections within it yeah and i think that's been part of my background as well right you know yeah and i have a number of friends who are evangelical who yeah well i mean I, even I, I mean even i have even evangelical friends i went to university with a great a great a good friend of mine who, who yeah was an evangelical christian yeah. and i was always fascinated by that in fact yeah. and we have we've in fact had many many conversations about faith it's probably the only thing we ever talk about when we meet up but okay. it, but it's but it's a evolving conversation that i'm i think both sides have very much enjoyed i yeah, think he's uh-huh. he, he's rarely been as challenged as he has when yeah. he's talked to me and i've rarely been as challenged yeah, as really. when i talked to him which is great yeah. mm-hmm. but anyway <laughs> that that experience in that church was an interesting one in mm. the in the there were, it kind of was all about there was like so many different things intersecting so there was like yes. there was there was also apart from the religion thing there was also race and so there was yeah, also uh-huh. the fact that in a, a rare experience yeah, for, you, the for me being the yeah, minority yeah. ethnic group yeah. and and because of that it was interesting i guess I guess it's it's similar to the experience that 
that, that must happen to a lot of minor, minority groups. It was really clear how how we were thought of. What mm. what what was what was you could see the kind of ideology cogs churning. Like it was so so they they the the, the, the christening didn't seem to me to be about what I expected christenings to be about at all, mm-hmm. which is about children and about mm-hmm. love. and po- I expected yeah. them to be like really nice Bible passages about love, but it was all about like obeying, right? Yes. Those, those were the kinds of Bible passages, and that mm. was the kind of church it was. Mm. Um, and th- they brought in this, this white preacher as well, who then really gave us the hard sell on Christianity. Okay. Mm. And I, I felt really complicated about all of that because I didn't think it was an appropriate thing to do at my niece's christening mm. to mm-hmm. try and convert us all. Like, sure. fine, convert yeah. me later in a different uh-huh. space yes. like it's my, my niece's christening should be about my niece it feels yeah. to me yes. um, but, but I'm not a Christian sure. maybe that's a, a wrong reading no, I don't know it's simply it's, it's, it's hijacking the crowd you know right, so, right. that's kind of how we've got people yeah. may never see again so we better but I mean at the same time I mean her you know her, her you know, something I didn't really go into in the story I told. Mm. I mean, her father is a part of that church. Yeah. He plays the drums in that church. Okay. He coaches the football for the for mm-hmm. that church's football team. Sure. So, uh-huh. so you know, it was a very appropriate space as well. And I yeah. guess if you if, if if you've got this captured audience of atheist white people, <laughs> why why not try and try and convert them? So I didn't really mind that bit. But the, but the bit I mean in the story that I sort of yeah. focused on is the, the fact that the cake the said "Suffer the little children." So this was fascinating because you went off on that one. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know if. It even means in context in the Bible because I've read the Bible I've read it you know actually a couple of times and some bits I really like Ecclesiastes Uh Um, I really like the book of Revelations for very different Uh reasons but like in the context of that just the words suffer the little Uh children you know that that made me think a lot of things about about my childhood but also about the possible future childhood for my my niece and Mm. and about the differences between what my childhood was and I I had lots of problems in my childhood don't get me wrong Mm. and the potential problems that my niece could have in her life going forwards and that's something I don't know as a white guy it's weird to be thinking about but important to yes. be thinking about how to support my niece against white supremacist culture um, uh-huh. which I am a, a, an unwitting un, like I'm not consenting to being someone who benefits yeah. from that uh-huh. but I benefit from it there's no doubt yeah. about that uh-huh. and she won't yeah. and it's like having these conversations with her now about yeah. like the police you yeah. know Aren't, aren't necessarily her friends in the yeah. same way that they might be like like the last I've just recently seen her at Christmas and mm. yeah I was talking to we were talking about like she was talking about Muslims and the way that Muslims get represented mm-hmm. and I was you know in this position of saying well yeah that's Muslims but you might be considered to be a Muslim just by the nature of your skin colour yes. and, and how that might and that, yes. that kind of made her yeah and that yeah. made her have to think about that you know mm. in a, in a, and it's sad to make yes to, to, to bring these issues into a 10 year old's life yeah. but I know it has to be done yeah. but I not experienced it so I don't have yeah. the rule, rule book I don't have the rule book yeah it's interesting the words <laughs> used before in terms of dissent and consent right um, so although you've kind of descended from that you know you haven't consented to that and so but it's an interesting when you then take a step aside from your privilege you then are treated as one of the marginalised as well <laughs> right to a certain right. extent to a certain degree but you can always step out of that box yes. uh-huh. like that's the thing yeah. you can uh-huh. always you can yes. always re-weaponise yeah. your privilege yeah. uh-huh. at any time yeah. there's you know yeah which is interesting the, the cake thing was fascinating when I heard that it really 
it got me thinking in terms of you being a minority ethnic person within that and also not having the, 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 the language of the translation because just as I walk into rooms and spaces where I'm having to really figure out what's just happened, what's the nuanced thing that's just happened, what does that glance mean? You know, having to kind of figure this stuff out the whole time. Right, of course. Suffer the little children, as you indicated, doesn't mean the little children should suffer. It's, it's old English for allow, allow, permit the children to come to me. It's, 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 it's a fuller context of right. that. But it really struck me as someone who is meant to be a representative within the church and of the church, how often the things that we say or do are misunderstood and how often we miscommunicate and actually end up saying the opposite to what we intend. <laughs> right. And so that that was a real right. that was a real kind of slap in the face for for, for me and those who you know who, who I kind of represent in terms of we need to work harder to be accessible. We need to work harder that things are about the things are about. So in a couple of weeks time I'm going to be doing a, a baptism, a christening. There'll be about 100 people, white working class people from our right. local housing estates where the church that I lead is. And, and that's just a good reminder that all those folks there are there for the christening. And so it's going to be about that. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be about that. And yeah. your story helps just remind me that, that this isn't an opportunity to capitalise, you know, uh, or to kind of uh, uh, seek to, to get the church on the map or to seek to cajole or persuade anybody to anything that... They're, they're coming there because they're invited by family to celebrate this lovely rite of passage, this occasion, which is meaningful to the parents of, of um, a baby and a, and, and a young boy. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really good to hear. And I think Spark helps me to, uh, to reflect and hear and, and see through the eyes and ears of others. Right. So, for example, I'm speaking at St Paul's Cathedral soon, and I went to a service yesterday just to sit in the congregation. You know, I didn't talk to anybody, I just went to sit and thought, what does this feel like from this side, you know? Right. What is it like? Actually, is it a bit boring? Is it a bit this? Is it a bit that? Do yeah. you know, what do people actually need? Who are the people around and why have they come? And what's going to make this a meaningful and significant moment for them? Right. You know, and, uh, and so, yeah, storytelling, story sharing, this, what we're doing now is, is vital to build empathy and to help us to recognise actually... Where I was talking to some friends, and I said, you know, I guess I'm a guest on a podcast this afternoon, and if if myself and the and the podcast host maybe had just met at a party and not <coughs> realised how much we had in common right. through sharing stories, we realise actually there's so much we have in common. Right. And I mean that's the interesting thing. So that night, then after my story, which started the night, there was lots and lots of stories from lots of different yeah. kinds of people about mental health. You know, it was a very yeah. powerful night. Uh-huh. So after all of those stories and they were they were big stories like yeah, i mean uh, wow like yeah. like people should listen to the the episode that sparks put out about yes. that but also you know i mean that doesn't even capture the amount of the, it was a really powerful night very dark night like yeah. all of the stories were, yeah, were dark not just about mental health there was because of the fact that it was um, yeah, lots of culture, yeah, exactly, yeah. and and colonialism yeah. and all sorts of. Because th- I, I was talking a little bit about that in my story, and then, yeah. but, but that came up obviously when yeah. when people of colour talk about yeah. colonialism, there's yeah. l- less like guilt and just yeah. saying there's self homophobia you know, as well, right? And all sorts of different s- topics and subjects. But then at the at the end of the night, you yeah. told the last story in I the did. open mic, uh-huh. uh, and that is when I discovered that you were a priest, uh-huh. uh, and that story was about 
about, well, I thought that story was a really interesting story for a, a priest to tell because it was mm. about you failing as a priest and then yeah. working out how to be a better priest. <laughs> and I thought that was amazing to, to tell. Okay. Yeah. If you could give the listeners a little idea. I don't want to tell it because then, <laughs> then it's my words telling your story. Sure. So a few months back, I was outside of um, the church for some reason, putting a poster up or something. And, and at the corner of my eye, I saw this guy walking toward me, tall, middle-aged black man, um, fairly smart, kind of leather jacket, beret, that kind of thing. And he walked up to me, and then he got a little bit too close into my bubble. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and leaned over and began to ask me for help, began to ask me for money, and I felt a little bit intimidated actually and I, I made some excuse about having to go and I pointed in the direction of a place where I knew he could probably find some help and then locked the door, got my bike and rode off then a couple of weeks later I was, I was coming into the church There'd been um, uh, there's a flat beside the church we've just done a little bit of work in there I was just coming back into the church. The Cornwire saw him again, and he was um, he was on his way to the food bank, which takes place in the community centre of the road. And so I rushed into the church. I thought, I hope he hasn't seen me. <laughs> I went round the corner, and then looked through the crack in the door. Left the church in darkness, and then he walked in. He said, "Hello, hello." He's he's in, and I thought I've been doing a little bit of thinking. And I was dissatisfied in my last interaction with him, dissatisfied in myself, and and so I walked out. And what was funny, actually, as he had said to me before, he said, um, "Is the priest here?" And he said that to me a second time. Um, is, is the priest here? I wanted to say no, he isn't actually. I'm the janitor or something. <laughs> but um, I, I responded, um, "Yes, I, I'm him." And he said, "I need some help." And I said, "All right, let's sit down." And he began to say he needed money for this, that, and the other. And I said, well, actually, I can't really, I can't give you money. Um, but he said, well, can you pray for me? I said, I can do that. So he began to sit and he began to talk. And we spent the best part of an hour with him sharing things of his story, things of his life, things he was um, uh, uh, disappointed with, um, problems he'd gone through. And after a while, this an idea began to emerge for me. I enjoy singing and playing the piano and we have a piano in the corner of the church and I said I would love to sing you a song you up for that? I said alright so he walked over sat down at the piano got him a little chair and he closed his eyes and I began to play and just played a really simple chorus a simple uh, Christian song and and then when I fe- it's called Such Love and when I finished the song there was just these, this kind of pregnant pause he opened his eyes and said, I've had a vision. That surprised me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that surprised me. You know, at best I thought it might relax him a little bit. At best I thought it would just help take him out of his problems and his challenges for a moment. But he said, I had a vision. And so I said, what was your vision? He said, I saw Jesus on the cross. Can you help me understand what that means? I took a breath. I didn't have, it took a couple of seconds and then... I heard myself saying to him, well, I think it means that God understands what you're going through. Because Jesus was rejected by his family, as you've described being rejected by yours. Jesus was oppressed by the authorities, as he's spoken about being followed by the police and put in prison. Jesus um, suffered hunger and homelessness, as you've described. I think he's saying he understands. And he then said to me, okay, so 
I feel a lot better hearing that. But when's it going to get better? I said, I don't know. And I shook his hand and he went off. I later heard that he went to the food bank and walked in there and started going around and saying, God bless you to everybody. Wow. <laughs> I, mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's such a nice story in, in many, many ways. And, and one of the things that I found really interesting about it when you to- told it was not just the fact that I discovered that you were a priest, which was pretty interesting information for me based on mm. the fact that I hadn't known that before. It was also the fact that a lot of the things that you were you were going through in that story are the kinds of things I worry about. Mm. You know, like like not wanting people to get into your bubble and yeah. avoiding people, but then feeling very guilty about that. Then and going over and over your actions and replaying yes. a little, like yes. it, 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 you know, your first interaction with that with that homeless guy. Mm was a small moment in your day but I got the sense that you kept on thinking about it yes. and I, that happens uh-huh. to me all the time and, yeah. I, and you know quite often I kind of apologise to someone for something I did you know two weeks ago and they're like they didn't remember <laughs> it they don't know it happened Yes. and also the other thing that was interesting to me was that it was even though you, you are black and so was the homeless guy and so they, there was a commonality in that you both have to fear the police there was also this this fact that you were in a position of privilege right and 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 that was very interesting to me that the sorts of things I worry about with my privilege the sorts of things you were worrying about with your privilege and then if you add all of that to the fact that it's a priest experiencing all of those things (laughs) that really I think is very very important for people to know about I think like 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 I said if I'm going to be attracted to any kind of religion it's it's where it's religion where where the people involved in it are human and the idea of priests like peeping around (laughs) to see if the guy's gone yet um you know it's it's great it's great to me and I think it's it to me it's it's a very positive human connection uh, kind of story, and, and whether you whether you have faith or not, that's what I you know that's what I think you can find in that, and I hope that's what you can find at Spark and through storytelling in general. Before we started talking and, and telling these stories together here, you said that, that stories is something that you're you're really passionate about, and that that's something that you out of all of the things that we could talk about today, I asked people what they want to talk about. Stories was the only real thing that you had that you really wanted to talk about. When did stories come into your life? Stories came into our life primarily through my mother. So she was a fantastic storyteller. She was incredible at mimicking. So she would replay aspects of her day and she'd use a, a posh English voice or she'd um, go with a very um, kind of working class uh, uh, Caribbean accent for something and she'd have me in stitches. There's no one in the world who made me laugh as much as my mum did. And so that was my first introduction to stories. And evening by evening, I still have it. There's a, a Bible with a picture Bible, and she would pick it up and she'd tell me stories. She'd read some, but then she'd begin to tell them. I preferred it when she told the stories because there's something more evocative and emotional. She took on the different characters. I am still fairly shy in a number of contexts and situations, and particularly so when I was younger, I didn't know how to um, block out overstimulation. So what I would do is I would go sit underneath a tablecloth or go sit in a wardrobe and as a boy I would take mum's uh, little tape recorder, I can't remember the make of it but it was a, kind of a silver thing uh, with the, the big kind of red button that you hit red and play for a record and put in a, a cassette tape and I would make up stories. So I'd sit in the wardrobe or sit under the, the tablecloth and, and make up stories and put silly voices on and things like that and and that was just my way of of decompressing that was my way of making sense of stuff 
at times we used to go to family members and it'd be so big and loud and noisy and verbose and I'd be sitting in the corner trying to watch the TV, trying to tune into The Incredible Hulk or Knight Rider or something and people would be laughing and joking and it was, it was so much but what I realised I was actually absorbing something of the conversation, absorbing something of the tonality and the accents and and then I'd get to my little tape recorder and I'd replace stuff and, and copy and play around with um, with, with these people's stories and, and, um, and replay their lives, I guess. I'd then take the Bible stories, which was my main grist of stories, and, and do these little impressions of, um, of some of the characters. So that was, that was an introduction to stories. And, and I think my, uh, my attending church and Sunday school... Uh, it's just the background sound, yeah, there. Really. Um, you, you can't You can't record in a public space without background sound. Some of that adds to the moment. Sometimes it's crinkly bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, as, as a boy, I used to love on a Saturday um, getting out of bed and coming out and watching The Ava- Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man. Right. And so, so then that led me to getting comic books. And so when I was old enough to, to go out on my own, I'd go down to the, uh, the corner shop and see Mr. Patel and he'd know I was after my, my weekly hit of Spider-Man and so then I began to get into those stories right. and so particularly Marvel has, has been a friend of mine and maybe about four or five years ago I got back into graphic novels again right. and, and loved them they're amazing you know? yeah. I absolutely love them the, the depth the philosophy and reading with, with an adult you know perspective right. there's you know, it's it's not two D, it's three D, it's four D. You know, it's yeah. multi-dimensional. Yeah. Um, well, you can. It's got time. You don't like. You can, you can never see time apart yes, from uh, in a graphic novel. Yes. You don't. You that's know. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. That's it's, perfect. it's the best thing. Yeah. That's about brilliant. it. I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So I began to really love getting into these stories and, and movies and heroes and that type of thing so that was all part of my I guess my mythology right. um, growing up and, and these people felt real and alive to me and although as my father's 10th child as a mum's only child and my next youngest sibling to me is 20 years my senior right and so I was I turned 40 in 2015 and so he turned 60 so and that goes up from 60 to 80 and so my other nine siblings in between 60 and 80 and so they were a generation you know a half a generation ahead of me so I didn't I had very little contact with them so I I grew up as an only child and so lots of stories and ideas are always running around my head I was always thinking that I always I was often daydreaming to the point I'd bump into things walking down the street <laughs> right <laughs> you know I'd see a shadow pass by and all of a sudden it'd, be, it'd, it'd become something it'd run along the, the wall and you know and so yeah so I was always thinking and imagining and dreaming yeah I mean that's really interesting and and I mean it's, it's interesting that, that these different strands of sort of different kinds of stories you've channeled all of those through and I guess one yeah. of the things that you do as a priest is you tell stories yeah. one of the things you do at Spark London in fact the only yeah. thing you do at Spark yeah. London because that's what everyone does at Spark London is tell stories yeah. you're making a podcast which seems very apt for someone who was recording their own voice when yeah. they were so young um, it's, it's interesting you've taken all of this kind of wide range of different kinds of stories and channeled that into some kind of practical practical yeah, the practical part of is kind of who you are, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Spark has been such a wonderful find. A friend of mine told me about it years ago, 
and it was always in the back of my mind but then something just kicked and I thought I'm going to go there I think partly because within the setting that I'm normally in, within the context of the church people are there because they buy into the worldview, they buy into the paradigm kind of signed up to something me as uh, the vicar of the church there's a level of expectation that I'm going to bring something to them <laughs> which, which happens sometimes sometimes <laughs> I take something from them probably um, but I, I was curious to think is this label of being a preacher is this the entirety of, of this sense of storytelling that I have or is there something deeper and richer that preaching is an expression of as opposed to the actual thing it is right and and so that reminded me of my friend has said you should go along to spark and so i went along to spark to test to to see um you know can i in this context where we're all you know it's a diverse group of people people aren't here to hear me people are brought into to a worldview that i've been growing and developing and evolving people are looking for someone who can be honest authentic and the judgment is did you connect did they hear something that was really of you and not just something rehearsed or, right um or, or something um were you trying to sound clever you know you've read some books and you managed to regurgitate it <laughs> and and so that was uh, i thought let me yeah let, let, let me see and I went and was just bowled over by hearing other stories and I didn't actually go on the first time to tell a story. I, I went to hear stories and just to see, to kind of case the joint really, to, to get a feel of it, think it's something I want to go along to again and maybe then tell a story. But someone came to me in one of the breaks and said, have you got a story? And before overthinking it, I said, yes. <laughs> Which then sent me to leave my pint on the table and rush to the loo, sit down and think story can I tell what story can I? Right, right, right. <laughs> and just begin to map something out and it was about flames of fire and I remember the story of, of someone who had come to our house and was playing with a lighter and inadvertently set our sofa on fire right that was a great story <laughs> and so I thought Do you know what I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about that and so yes yeah, so I got up and I thought hey this feels comfortable I think one of the things wonderful as well and not all churches are like this, but some churches can be a little bit more sort of X-factorish in that you feel that they're, that they're judging the quality of, you know, of, of the sermon. Right. And then when they go home for their lunches, they're sort of carving it up. What do you think of that? Oh, I didn't agree with that or what have you. And so sometimes you can feel that there's a, a critical uh, framework you're having to overcome. But when I got to Spark, it felt that the community was drawing the story out of me. It felt there, there felt to be a real warmth, which some churches are like that, of course. But sometimes there can be this thing of people have, have got kind of worn into a thing and, and, um, and, and perspectives that where they, uh, they, they turn up with a, with a sense of, what have you got for me this week? You know? right. and, uh, and, and so you can feel a little bit like you're trying to give something to the customer. You know, you're, you're trying to serve up your best meal and they're like, oh, the steak's a bit raw. Or <laughs> right. <clears throat> No, I get, I get, I, yeah, yeah I can understand? imagine that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and I mean, that's the the case with a lot of performing, as well. I mean, like mm-hmm. you know, not just 
you, you, other things I do that outside of Spark are more yeah. performative. Yes. Um, and it's and, and I'm much more interested in creating those spaces in audiences and in yeah. rooms where yeah. it is like you're saying, like yeah. about okay. connection and yes. and, inter- uh-huh. and 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 where you can make mistakes. Like I often say at Spark, and it's something I say as a host in all things. You know, I'm comfortable being awkward. It's okay to make mistakes, mm. and and let's be let's make mistakes together. Let's be awkward together. Fantastic. Let's all share that. Um, and one of the things I found about Spark is. I think, and what, what creates the kind of uh, sense that you're talking about is if you have like just three people in a row just talking about their personal lives and their personal experiences, it's really hard to be like this objective, critical person about that because that's mm. real people and they're yes. sharing their real experiences. Yes. And so I guess if you're preaching and you're using a Bible passage or yes. if I'm performing and I'm performing as a different person as a, and mm. acting mm-hmm. or whatever, that doesn't give yeah. that kind of rawness in us. Yeah. We're not uh-huh. exposing ourselves yes. and so people can sit back and go, yes. oh, right, mm, do, we, do I agree with that? Uh, uh, mm. But when Absolutely. you like just give something of yourself, and so yeah. I find the interesting thing doing Spark and then going into other things is yeah. I try and take what I've learned from Spark about that sharing of yourself, about being comfortable with who you are, even if you're not comfortable with who you are. Like that's yeah, being comfortable about being uncomfortable. Yes, and uh-huh. and 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 bring that into other spaces. And yes. I, I wonder is is that something that you feel find is influencing your 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 preaching work? So I find that when I am more open when I feel more willing to be vulnerable, connection does happen. Connection does happen. I guess it's like the Aesop's fable of the wind and the sun having the argument. You know that one? There's a man who's, um, who has a jacket and he's walking along a pathway and the wind and the sun, they have an argument and, um, and they say that both of them say that they can get the guy to take his jacket off and the wind is, is, is most verbose in this and he says I can do it just watch me do it and the sun says okay fine go for it and the wind begins to blow and howl and gust and gale and all that happens the man pulls his jacket tighter around him and the sun said are you finished the wind said yes the sun then begins to shine just softly to begin with but increases the temperature and then the man takes his jacket off because he feels the warmth of the sun and I just love that and I find that if I'm trying to defend myself as the wind by coming strong and hard it just causes people to to draw in however when I when I'm open and there's people feel a genuine warmth with them and for them and I and I do that by offering my own flaws and vulnerabilities uh, I find that the, the, the room opens up Right. Otherwise, sometimes I can feel like I'm in two different rooms with people. And I remember uh, <coughs> I was doing a, a sermon on a story that's found in the second part of the Bible that Jesus tells. Jesus was a lovely storyteller. I think that's something that really appeals to me about him. I tell stories that have multiple meanings and uh, can be taken in different ways. And so one of the stories he tells is, um, is about a young man who leaves the family home and goes off and um, is ill-disciplined and and loses his money and then there's a famine that kicks in and and he, he comes back home eventually and the father welcomes him back home and has a party for him and whereas the boy's coming back full of guilt and remorse uh, the father just ignores all that and offers him grace and and welcomes him back and, and offers a party and I remember going in I was, I was working late and I went in I was late in preparing. I went in on Saturday evening to, to get this ready. And we have a Narcotics Anonymous group that meets in the church on a Saturday evening. And 
and I put on the, the light in the balcony office, which then not the ambience of their meeting because they have candle lit and it's anonymous. And so, so they sit in a circle. I think maybe other than Spark, because I've been along to one of their meetings, other than Spark, that's another place where I've found a real mm. depth of honesty, mm. real honesty, raw honesty. Yeah. And, you know, mind-blowingly loving community. And, and so people had been sharing that. And I put the light on. I need to get my commentaries out because I had a service the next day. And it was, it was important to me. Anyway, one of the guys came up the stairs and said, Excuse me, you're mucking up our meeting. <laughs> I was like, what? I thought, you know, I thought, who the hell do you think you are? This is my church. I'm the vicar of this church. You know, if I'm going to put the light on, I'll read some commentaries, prepare for my sermon... Uh, you know, that's my thing, that's what I thought. And I said, well, you know, I'll be here for about another 20 minutes or so. So he probably he said, no, no, you're mucking up our meeting. We, we pay money to be here. You can't muck up our meeting. People are sharing personal things down there. You're mucking it up by turning the light on. And are you going to turn the light off? I was fuming, absolutely fuming. Who does he think he is? And then I... I saw my pride and I went and I turned the light off. I thought, well, I can't do anything now, I can't work because it was dark. <laughs> so I couldn't read the <laughs> right, commentaries. But what I did, I looked out the glass of the balcony office and looked down and I saw these people illuminated by the candlelight and I saw the stories that they were telling and I saw them offering hugs to one another and I could see there was something rich and important going on down there. And then it struck me the irony. I was preparing a talk about welcoming the people who have been broken welcoming the people <laughs> who've made mistakes or through choice of circumstance things haven't worked out in the way that they planned what a hypocrite what a hypocrite and someone had given me because it was a, it was a, a couple of Christmas days, someone had given me a big box of chocolates for Christmas and so I went downstairs and said excuse me you don't know me I'm the vicar here and I'd like to offer you these chocolates and say sorry for mucking up your meeting earlier <laughs> That's, a, that's another interesting story. I mean, again, it's, it's it's really nice to hear a priest in these kind of really human human situations where yeah. I think everyone can relate to moments when you, you get really annoyed with something really trivial. And <laughs> I can relate to that kind of sense of hypocrisy. So often yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing, you know, I try I try to make political art. Like, and yeah. so, so often I'm like working right. really hard on something and getting annoyed yeah. with someone interrupting me. And, <laughs> and that that kind of hypocrisy that you're talking about is is, yes. is very much there in that stuff. Yes. I mean, that's and, and or it's like you know ignoring your child when you're trying to like if you're a te- like yeah. I imagine lots of teachers. Yes, you, you know, ignore their own children at times yes. and then feel bad about those kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Those kind of moments of hypocrisy are really, I, yeah. I don't know. I think hypocrisy, in a way, it's a, obviously it's a bad thing in some ways. I think we should try and get out of ourselves. But in another way, hypocrisy is something so human, so universal. It really yeah, yeah. It, it's, hopefully, it can bring yeah. us together in some Absolutely. ways. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's a good bridge, but it's it's a bad barrier, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> so for me, walking down the stairs. And then emerging into this group, and then not knowing who I was, but then offering this gift and apologising. People came up to me, gave me hugs, people began to... There was a warmth, I felt part of welcoming to their community, yeah. you know? And actually, it didn't matter, I didn't have all the, the best ideas or abstract concepts for this talk, because I shared that story the next day, and that thing had the biggest impact. And all of those who were in that Sunday congregation were able to relate to where I was and how quickly we can ignore our Christian ethics for 
uh, Christian propositions. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of goes across the board, whether you're a Christian or not, whatever your yeah. moral code is. Yeah. So have you ever brought your kind of your influence of like Marvel into your into your preaching? Oh, certainly have. Because um, I think that's another interesting kind of people don't think of priests as being into Marvel. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of the Marvel universe. Yeah, and uh-huh. I think there's a, there's a lot of ways that priests could easily be into yeah, it. But yeah, absolutely. But I think I've spoken about it in terms of I've looked at Stan Lee as an immigrant in the Hell's Kitchen in New York how thinking about these characters gave him voice, gave him the ability to think, you know, when he saw the bullies on the street corners, he was able to imagine, well, if I were able to do this, I would have this particular wisecrack or whatever. And so he found, he found stories empowering for him. So so have used it in terms of if you imagine or dream something, if you work towards something, you can literally begin to change your environment, the inner environment, and then that in turn changing and shaping the outer environment. Yeah, so I've, I've used that. Occasionally I've used some of the characters uh, and, and thought about like Hulk for example you know because I, I love Hulk and, and some of the most interesting Hulk literature is where he's managed to integrate the intelligence of, of Banner with the, with the bulk of, of, of the beast and, and, and the, that kind of synthesis I think is wonderful and so I think yeah, people, people do relate to, to the heroes and, and are able to, to, to see the exaggerated forms of the exaggerated archetypes within their own lives and stories yes occasionally I have in the podcast that my friend and I are putting together Marvel stuff is a big thing for my oh, friend right, as well okay, cool. and so I, I think it's definitely going to feature um, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what is your podcast? <laughs> so, uh, the name of it is The Shapeshifters, and there are a couple of icons, kind of symbols. One is a deep sea diver, one is a space explorer. And so, a friend of mine who's a designer has, has, has drawn up these two great little images. And so, that sense of the space explorer is future focused and, and expansive and full of adventure and kind of going up and, and out. And the deep sea diver. Is, is going down and prepared to go into the murky waters of our past and and unlock some stuff and, and open up some stuff, find some treasure down there. And it, my, my friend is, is a psychotherapist as well as an actor. And so I think there's a, there's a really lovely synergy between us looking at the types of stories we tell in the variety of contexts that we're in, how we can find by having that sense of a future and, and having a sense of not being afraid of our past, how actually we can be more alive in the present, uh, kind right. of bringing those things together. Right. And so we're literally, we're, we're shape-shifting, we're like the Transformers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're moving from, from, from one context to another, we're, we're traversing a different environment where we're, we're finding the shape that we need in order to, to do the things that we need to do. It can be as simple as recently I was having a conversation, fairly heated conversation with one or two of the folks in, in my world and oftentimes I felt intimidated by them pulling out the things that I know I'm not good at <laughs> in my ministry. And so it was simply a case of actually they were sitting down just staying standing up. <laughs> simply a case of staying standing up actually helped me to, to feel just a little, little bit more confident right. um, in saying my piece and then I felt a little bit more free to walk away once I'd said my piece right. and once I'd, I'd held my ground because beforehand uh, I felt if I came down to their level the net would be over me and I'd be caught up in this circular conversation argument that we've had time and time and time again where right. we don't actually get anywhere with it yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but also it can be um, an openness to listening to others. So a couple of weeks back I was in a coffee shop and there's a lady who's quite badly disabled who was sitting in a wheelchair by the table and she was shouting out to the baristas for them to come and serve her but it's not table service and I don't think she realised that. And so I just went up to her and said, hey, how are you doing? She said, oh, they're not serving me, they're not serving me, I'm a disabled lady and this sort of thing. And she was, you know, describing herself in those terms. And I said, well, is there anything I can do to help? And she said, yes, I want a a grande latte. I said, all right. I said, I'll go and get it. As it happened, it's around Christmas time, as it happened, I had filled up my loyalty card. I said, you know what, this is on me for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and I got her this thing. And the first thing she said was she got out her wallet and showed me a picture that this was me before I was disabled. And showed me this picture of, you know, this, this um, beautiful lady. And, and, and she's, um, she, she's a black lady as well. And, and, and I said, well, you look young and good now. And she said, you look young and good. She said, how old are you? I said, I'm 40. You're not 40. I said, I am. I said, black don't crack, sister. <laughs> and we just started laughing. And we just had this little moment, you know, and then I went on with the rest of my day. But it was just this little moment. I was in McDonald's a couple of months back. And as I approached the till, there was this woman there, Eastern European, young lady. And I just had a, a funny sense just to ask her a question. I said, hi, you know, I gave my order. and said, is this what you want to be doing? And she said, no, I want to be an architect. I said, oh, that's interesting. Tell me what your story was. And so, I mean, there's no one around. It was really quite... She began to tell me the story of moving from Eastern Europe and coming over, but then not being able to, to find the resources and the support in order to do what she wanted to do. And so I said, but do you still draw stuff? And she said, yes, I do. I said, well, keep drawing. I said, hey, there might be some scholarships available. And I just gave her a couple of suggestions after that came out. And... and she shifted, you know, her, her, her head lifted up a bit, her shoulders squared a little bit, and it just felt that she just had, she just reminded of something. Right. I think, I think shape-shifting's about that, it's reminding us of other versions of ourselves that we, that, that we ascribe to, that we resonate with, but for whatever reason, choice of circumstance, we feel more detached and more distant from those people. You mentioned earlier the cake saying, suffer the little children. Right. The, the word that we talk about at Easter time, the passion of Christ which refers to his suffering from the Latin um, passio and, and there's this sense in which the passion in order for us to fulfil our passions there is a level of suffering that we go through my wife Hannah recently told me a quote she read which was there's two types of pain in life the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment and, and that really resonated with me in terms of when I try to shift my backside out to the, the running club <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> when I'm seeking to sit down and to write the, the book that is gestating within me, when I am confident to have the tough conversation I know I need to have. You know, you know the thing, having an early conversation avoids having a, a horrible confrontation. <laughs> you know, just sort of nipping things in the bud. But so often I can retreat within myself and have the conversation with the person in my mind. Right. Never out loud. <laughs> never have it. Right, yeah. And so then actually it just leads to misunderstanding. And so people are actually responding to something that you never intended. Right. And it also the problem with having those conversations in your head, I find myself, is is that you have the conversation in your head and then you're really annoyed that they haven't like changed <laughs> because of the fact and you, you, you start resenting them much more than yes. you would have done if you talked to them because yes. you feel like you've had this big you, you, you feel like you've been having a constant conversation with them and in fact you've been just yes. talking to yourself <laughs> yes yeah that's right <laughs>
We're really yeah. strange creatures. <clears throat> yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> strange and wonderful. Yes. Uh, that's, that's humans. This has been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you today. Yeah. I feel like this, you know, I'm only just scratching the surface, but we are running out of time, so I will... I will close up but yeah it's been a real pleasure and thank you very much for doing it um, and hopefully the listeners have enjoyed what we've been talking about I think we've been great I think that the background sound people might complain that's that's up to them um, I offer these things to the world as as, as, as moments captured and uh, I'm fully aware of the fact that when you put a microphone on a table and, and open up the scope of its uh, ability to record, you get the room. Uh, and that's yeah. good, because it means I'm not shoving a microphone right in your face. Yeah, but well, it's, it's, it feels real. Yeah. And it's been a real pleasure and delight to, to be your guest today. Yeah. And I look forward to getting better acquainted with you. Right, yeah. although, I mean, you know, I would say, you know, when you're making your own podcast, you might want to, don't, don't necessarily take this as a model, because this is a very <laughs> conscious decision, but many people don't like this kind of audio. But I do, actually. I'm very passionate yeah. about this kind of audio. But yeah. for some reason, I always feel I need to at least at least acknowledge the people who aren't passionate about it okay. even as I keep on saying no we need more messy sounds yeah. I think we're losing our ability to hear messy sounds but anyway uh-huh. that is a conversation okay. for another day the last thing I ask my guests is do you have anything to plug? there's nothing that's uppermost if in the future there's opportunity to, to link or to reference the shapeshifters once we start getting it out yeah do you know when that's going to be coming out? in a couple of weeks oh right yeah. well I will hold this back until, yeah. it's, until that's okay. there to promote so oh, yeah Okay. Plug that absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So shape shapeshifters. Yeah, the shapeshifters. So it'll be available through iTunes and uh, yeah. And I'll put links to everything in the in the show notes as I always do anyway. So you've got that podcast and you're also writing something. You, you said yes. So I am um, writing a, a fantasy sci-fi novel. Excellent. Yes. So I've done a couple of chapters. I have an outline. I have some friends uh, who are reading it and hope to begin pitching. Yeah, I'm look, look forward to that in the future. Uh, fantasy and science fiction are very much my genres, so okay. I'm, I'm excited by that too. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of, that's kind of really what you like, we were referring to before. Like, uh-huh. like, from going to Spark, we knew we had lots of things in common. Yes. Because we're humans, and we've, mm-hmm. we've, we've shared different kinds yes. of stories that have had connotations. But through having this conversation, I've yes. learned that we, we also have both kind of very similar reference points, yeah, okay. very similar yeah, interests. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I'm interested in comics yeah, uh-huh. and graphic novels and science yeah. fiction and fantasy. And in storytelling, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. So, it's been a pleasure to be um, in your earbuds, uh, coming across <laughs> your speakers. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed um, getting better acquainted with me. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> the first episode of Azariah's podcast, The Shapeshifters, is available from the Shapeshifters. Hopefully it will soon be available as well on iTunes, but you can listen to their first episode over there. And it's about the film Room. Watch the film before you listen to that episode if you don't want any spoilers. But I really enjoyed that first episode and look forward to hearing more in the future. Speaking of shows, I have a solo storytelling show. What about the men mansplaining masculinity which has recently become available on the Stand Up Tragedy podcast as part of the Stand Up Tragedy Presents season. You can find that through Stand Up Tragedy on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or anywhere that you go to find podcasts. It's not always easy, there are some laughs but there's also a lot of very serious and painful stuff but it's uplifting at the end. If you're not a man, that's okay. 
It is a show which all genders can get something out of. It's about masculinity, it's about patriarchy, it's about my complicated relationship with being a man and hopefully you can get something from it. At some point soon, I'll get around to embedding it on the website for the show, which is www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. But please spread the word and share that show. I really believe in it. And the responses of men who I've done it for suggests to me that it has something that resonates with a lot of men's experience. You can donate to that show on its website. You can also donate to Getting Better Acquainted at www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GooseFat101. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.